The wild card races are still going, but we're taking an hour off to dish out our annual Fantasy Player Awards for the season that ends this week, next on Baseball HQ Radio. Swinging. There's a drive into left center field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 7-15. There's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. The fireworks are going. Here's the pitch on the way. A swing and a foul. Left field. Way back. Blue Jays win it. The Blue Jays are Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host, from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio. It's our second of two September special editions and show number 42 of the 2013 fantasy baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to the last podcast of the season. We'll be taking a break in October to watch the playoffs. Yes, I refuse to call it the postseason and the World Series. Then we're going to have a pod here and there through November and December, but we consider those to be the first pods of the 2014 season, not the last pods of this one. In this edition of Baseball HQ Radio, we'll have our panel of experts from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business, and we're asking them to hand out the silverware. All right, it's actually stainless steel, but the pattern's very nice. It's our 2013 Fantasy Baseball Awards, our Fantasy Most Valuable Players, Cy Youngs and Rookies of the Year. We'll also have our Busts of the Year, and we'll ask our experts to tell us their choice for the Fantasy Baseball Story of the Year. It's another big show. It's our last of the season, so thanks for joining us. Hey, what do you say? We gotta talk some baseball. So let's get started with our 2013 Fantasy Baseball Awards by introducing our panel of experts. First, the founder of BaseballHQ.com and the host of the new monthly fantasy game at Chandler Park which you can find at Chandler.BigGameSoftware.com. Yes, it's Ron Chandler. Ron, welcome to the show. Thanks, Patrick. It's always a privilege and an honor to be among such a talented group of analysts. Next, the co-general manager of BaseballHQ.com and the site's speculator columnist, Ray Murphy. Hey, Patrick. Can't believe it's this time of year already. Seems like this season went awfully quickly. Yeah, it always seems that way at this time of the year. You can't believe how time flew, especially when you didn't quite do as well in your league as you hoped. A new participant in our roundtable, BaseballHQ.com Roto Gaming columnist and HQ Radio Masternotes contributor, Patrick DiCaprio. Pat, welcome to the show. Thanks, Patrick. I'm looking forward to my first opportunity to participate in the Baseball HQ Awards roundtable. And of course, no Baseball HQ Radio podcast would be complete without panelists who are very familiar to our regular listeners. First, another rookie to our panel, but a regular on the Baseball HQ Radio podcast. It's BaseballHQ.com matchups analyst Ryan Bloomfield. Ryan, welcome to the show. Hey, Patrick. Thanks for having me and looking forward to it. 
from BaseballHQ.com, MastersBall.com, ESPN.com, and our regular weekly Talk with Todd commentator this year on the podcast, Todd Zola. Todd, welcome back. How fortuitous you found someone named Todd to do the Talk with Todd segments there, Patrick. that was a lucky break. Great to be back again. I've missed our talks. The director of news and analysis at BaseballHQ.com, a very busy writer at the site, and our American League beat reporter at Baseball HQ Radio, it's Jock Thompson. Jock, thanks for joining us from sunny Southern California. Hey, PD. Good to be here for the end-of-season final. And last but not least, the veteran of our crew, our National League beat reporter at Baseball HQ Radio, Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thanks, Patrick. This is... uh... This is always such a fun session. I'm really looking forward to it. So that's our group. Let's get started with the Rookie of the Year among the hitters. We'll open the proceedings with one of our own rookies, Pat DiCaprio. This is your first appearance on the round table. Who is your Fantasy Rookie of the Year hitter for 2013? I am betting that it will be unanimous that Yasiel Puig is the Fantasy Rookie of the Year. Now, of course, he may be overrated going into next year, and I think there's a good chance of a significant regression. But then again, I thought that about Mike Trout this year, so who knows. But 41% hit rate, 337 batting average, and a 279 expected batting average, to me, looks like a regression. But for this year, I don't see how anybody can argue that Yasiel Puig is not the fantasy rookie of the year. His statistics are the best, and there's really no one even close. Whoa, nobody even close. Sounds like a a bit of a challenge to the rest of our panel. Let's start with Harold Nichols. What do you think, Nick? Can I just say ditto to what Patrick said? I mean, I agree completely, both in terms of uh, Puig's selection. His B.A. does put him head and shoulders above everyone else. But also in terms of looking ahead to next year. Our metrics say that uh, he's not going to be as strong next year. Hit rate is too high. XBA is too low. So even though Puig is a very valuable player in 2013, he's going to be overvalued in fantasy leagues in 2014. So two votes for Yaziel Puig as our Rookie of the Year among the hitters. Ryan Bloomfield, over to you. Yeah, I've got to go with Puig here as well. I can't really see a reason not to. Um, But I'll mix this up a little bit and talk about my runner-up, Evan Gaddis. Zero cost for owners. uh, 20 home runs and just over 300 at-bats as a catcher for Gaddis. Our power metrics actually say he could repeat this next year if he breaks camp with a starting job. And his batting average actually suffered from a pretty low hit rate. The best part of all with Gaddis, though, he did it all without padding gloves. You've got to love that throwback style. Gaddis is my, my runner-up, but Puig, uh, by far, is the, is the rookie of the year for me. And speaking of throwback style, over to Ron Chandler. Well, I'm going to jump on the bandwagon with uh, Puig as well here, but for not necessarily the same reasons. I'd like to backtrack just a second and, and talk a little bit about my philosophy of value when it comes to these type of awards. When it comes to fantasy, I'm looking for players who are difference makers to their teams. Uh, A player who costs $40 and earns $40 is is a building block. He's important, but he's not necessarily a difference maker. A player who costs a buck and earns 15, well, he's profitable, and that's a good thing, may or may not be a difference maker. For me, the ultimate is a guy who you maybe paid $10 or $15 for and earns 30 or 35. That's that's what I call a difference maker, and those are the guys who I'm really looking for when I'm trying to decide who which players to pick for these awards. Now, Puig, he's clearly the best rookie hitter this year, and I think there's so far everybody seems to be in agreement on that. Uh, and I think we we kind of saw this even coming into the season. He batted what over 500, um, had like 
10, 12 extra base hits in less than 60 at-bats in the spring, in spring training, and he didn't make the club. So he was either a reserve round pick or a free agent pick during the season, and then he, he just breaks out, hits the ground running, and ends up earning like $15, $16. So there's a lot of profit there. Uh, in the NFBC rankings, his ADP, his average draft position was like 507. So for me, he uh, epitomizes what we're looking for in, in trying to uh, name these award winners. So, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with Puig being the Rookie of the Year for hitting. All right, so that's a unanimous vote for Yaziel Puig so far. Ray Murphy, you're going to keep this uh, bandwagon rolling? Not a lot of drama in the first award here. I'll go with the group and say that my Rookie Hitter of the Year is Yaziel Puig. In fact, I'll nominate him for two awards right now. In addition to the Rookie Hitter Award that we're discussing, I think I'll also nominate him for most likely to be overdrafted in 2014. Everyone here is, you know, making mention of the regression and, you know, as much as he took the world by storm in his first hundred at-bats in the month of June, the second half has seen some of that regression already take hold, I think more so than has even really been noticed. He's still been productive, but I have a strong feeling that come next spring, we're going to see him drafted at levels a lot higher than could reasonably be supported by what we've seen in the larger sample from Puig. You know, the guy who hits the ground running and keeps going, you know, slowing down gradually as Puig has done often gets to live on reputation for a little bit of time. And I think that's uh, been the case with Puig. And I think he's going to be valued too high next spring for based on what the totality of his work this year was, not just in those first four or five weeks when he took the league by storm. That's uh, six out of six so far. I'll make it seven. I, I really can't add to what's been said, except that I really could have looked like a genius with Yaziel Puig in my Tout Wars mix draft. I actually grabbed him in the third round of the reserve draft, which was a pretty genius move. And later on, about a couple of weeks into the season, I waived him so I could hold on to Diane Vicieto and Mike Saunders. Probably not so genius of a move. I also looked at some runners-up, and I gave a strong look to Will Myers down in Tampa. The Rays held Myers out of Major League Baseball, at least partly for service clock reasons, and that decision could have bit them if they missed the playoffs by a game because they were playing so many replacement-level guys in right field and in the batting order instead of a solid two-win guy like, like Myers was. Listen, if we give Myers as many at-bats as we gave Puig, Myers would have at least as many home runs and probably more, and he's already ahead of Puig in RBIs despite 60 fewer at-bats. Their expected batting averages are pretty close to even as well. Yeah, Puig has a stolen base advantage this year, and I suspect he'll keep that over Myers into the future, but I won't be surprised if Myers is a more effective hitter for his career, maybe even starting next year. Todd Zola, do you want to make this vote unanimous for Yaziel Puig, or do you have something up your sleeve? I don't want to make it unanimous for Puig, but I'm going to. If uh, if Leonis Martin didn't have service time issues, I'd like to spin an argument in his favor, but I can't, so I won't, and it's Puig. So, Yaziel Puig, 8 for 8, a unanimous pick as our BaseballHQ.com Roundtable Rookie of the Year for hitters. Now let's move on to another category, I think might be somewhere between a landslide and a unanimous choice. Rookie of the year among the pitchers. Harold Nichols, why don't you kick this one off? Well, I think this was a really easy pick, and that's Jose Fernandez as the rookie pitcher of the year. ERA and, and strikeouts close to leading the league. Uh, even though he's pitching for one of the worst teams in baseball, he's got uh, a solid number of wins. Uh, you know, this, this guy just was absolutely fantastic this year. 
I think we'll see some regression next year. XCRA says that ERA is going to rise a little bit, for a bit, but for this season, it's Jose Fernandez for me as the uh, rookie pitcher of the year. Of course, Nick spent the year here at Baseball HQ Radio talking about the National League. Let's see what our American League analyst has to say about the rookie pitcher of the year. Jock, another vote for Jose Fernandez. Well, this was actually a crowded National League field with Shelby Miller, Ryu from Los Angeles, and Julio Tehran all eligible. But Jose Fernandez was the easy call. He earned $25 regardless of your format. He's a top five guy in ERA and whip plus double-digit wins on one of the worst teams in baseball. I'll take Fernandez. Ryan Bloomfield, a BaseballHQ.com matchups analyst. You talked about your share of pitchers this year. Who do you think was the best rookie among them? Yeah, I'm with Harold and Jock here as well, Patrick. Going to go with, with Team Cuba for Rookie of the Year here and pick Fernandez to go along with, with Puig as my hitter. Uh, just an incredible season for Fernandez. He'll finish up as a, as a top 10 starter. And really the surprising thing for me uh, with Fernandez were that his skills were much, much better in the second half of the season, even though he was a rookie seeing lineups for the second and third time around. Uh, since July, he struck out 10.5 batters per nine innings. Expected ERA at 264 since then as well. Um, his BPV jumped from 90 in the first half, which is still pretty good, but that went up to 143 in the second half. Uh, just incredible stuff, and Fernandez is the, the easy choice for me. Ron Chandler, using your valuation method, who's your rookie of the year among the pitchers? This year, you know, I think these picks are kind of no-brainers, unfortunately. Uh, I don't know if there was really anybody who, who came close to Jose Fernandez this year as, as being the best rookie pitcher. Um, not only was, was he the best pitcher, rookie pitcher overall, he was the most profitable rookie pitcher and also the most profitable pitcher overall. I mean, his ADP was 602, uh, yet he earned nearly $30. And the thing that I find particularly interesting is that, yes, he, he won 12 games uh, for a Miami club that, that lost 100. Uh, so, you know, he posted a 666 winning percentage for team that had a winning percentage not much over 350. Yeah, it was, you know, I think about Steve Carlton back in 1972 with the Phillies. Uh, not quite like that notable, but still, this was an amazing performance for a rookie pitcher. So, yeah, I agree with Fernandez. Ray Murphy, looks like we have some momentum here. What do you say? Don't let me break up the shutout here. I will go with Fernandez as well. His season was as brilliant as it was out of nowhere. Keep in mind that back in as late as the last weekend of the of the preseason, as I recall, there was not even an inkling that Fernandez was going to break camp with the team. And just for the record, I don't think this is a case where the ends justify the means. I'm not so sure that these brilliant results are proof that the Marlins did the right thing in starting him in the majors this year. I think that the workload and service time concerns that he's racked up a full season in the big leagues are not necessarily good things for his long-term outlook or his future as a Marlin. So those concerns are not what we're talking about for today. And, you know, for today, he's the rookie pitcher of the year and it's a runaway, but I'm still not completely convinced that he was handled properly here. Still, he went out and silenced all critics. So credit to him for that. And of course, it could be that the Marlins business model, which is to find young players, build them up, uh, develop some value and then get rid of them before they actually start making some real money so that you can repeat the process. Maybe Jose Fernandez did exactly what the Marlins want, and everyone's made that statistical argument. Ron made the same value argument I would have made if he hadn't already made it. Jose Fernandez gets my vote as well. 
I'm pretty confident Matt Harvey, had he stayed to the end of the season, could have given Jose Fernandez a run for his money because there might have been an argument. But he was a 6 to $8 player in most auctions and sometimes way more than that. But as Ron said, every dollar of Fernandez's value was pure profit. There's one other stat I really like about Fernandez, uh, his batting. He hit a home run this year, and his own batting average was 40 points higher than his batting average against. you got to like that. Todd, are you going to join the crowd again, or this going to be your opportunity to surprise us? I thought about checking to see if Casper Wells may be eligible, since he hasn't actually pitched before in the majors. But in the end, I said, nah, it's got to be Jose Fernandez, just like everybody else. Just It's the easiest call on the board, to tell you the truth. Certainly has been so far. So we're one vote away from another unanimous choice. Pat DiCaprio, are you going to break up this no-hitter? I think the rookie of the year among pitchers has to be Jose Fernandez. To me, he looks as good as any rookie pitcher that I've seen in the last 10 years. He's only 20 years old, and at 20, to post a dom above 9, a command ratio above 3, and a BPV approaching 120, I mean, that is ace-level skills at a young age that I don't think we've seen in a long time. Of course, like many rookies that excel in year one, I'm expecting a regression in year two, and his expected ERA is a full run higher than his actual ERA, but that's irrelevant to this discussion. For this year, Jose Fernandez, easily, to me, the best rookie pitcher of the year. So we're two for two in unanimous choices. Yaziel Puig is our rookie of the year among the hitters. Jose Fernandez, as Ryan said, making a Cuban connection as rookie of the year among the pitchers. The Cubans sweep the rookie categories. Now let's move on to what is usually, and let's hope again this year, a more contentious category, our busts of the year. We'll have pitchers in a minute, but right now we'll get our panel to vote on the bust of the year among fantasy hitters. We'll start with Jock Thompson. Jock, your personal disappointment with some members of your beloved Angels could have an effect on your choice for the hitter bust of the year. How about it? Well, no. In fact, my bust isn't an Angel. Uh, Albert Pujols gets an injury pass, and Josh Hamilton's second half was pretty decent, although obviously not $25 million a year decent. But to me, the bust hitter of the year is another offseason free agent who signed a big five-year contract, and that would be B.J. Upton. Upton underperformed Hamilton by 50 points in batting average and hit only nine home runs for the year. The only good thing about Upton's season is that he finished spending more time on the bench than the field. Um, But to me, he's the obvious bust hitter of the season. A vote for B.J. Upton. Ryan Bloomfield, what's your vote? It is Ryan Braun for me. Uh, the, The clear top three heading into the season were Mike Trout, Miguel Cabrera and Braun, um, who became the poster boy of, of Biogenesis this summer with only nine homers, four steals. Uh, was a limited sample with just over 200 at-bats this year, but his skills were the lowest we've seen in years uh, in terms of uh, BPV, expected batting average, his power metrics as well. Uh, anyone who goes from a, from a consensus top three pick overall to apparently cold calling Milwaukee season ticket holders to apologize uh, has to be bust of the year in my book. So Ryan B votes for Ryan B for bust of the year. Ryan Braun was the first pick in a lot of drafts. Let's move on to Ron Chandler. Ron, who's your pick as the bust of the year amongst the hitters? You know, if I keep following Ryan in this thing, I might as well just mail in my picks. We seem to be in agreement on all of them. Uh, Yeah, Ryan Braun, for me, uh, my bust of the year as well. Um, There were a few to choose from, but heck, Ryan Braun was the number one player coming into the season. His ADP was number one coming into the season. Uh, So forget the fact that he lost 65 games to suspension and another six weeks to the thumb injury. 
And yes, his numbers were down even before that. Uh, in particular, his power is off, uh, thanks in part to a career-high 52% ground ball rate. But for me, the worst part is, given the black cloud of the PEDs and his longtime connections to Miami, we really don't know if he ever put up real numbers. Braun, is, for me, is a huge bust on several levels, and it could, could affect his whole career going forward. So, uh, uh, yeah, for me, Ryan Braun. I'm very curious to see where Ryan Braun goes next year in drafts. I've seen him as high in the early mocks are already starting, and I've seen him as high as the end of the first round still after all of this question. Ray Murphy, who's your pick for the hitter bust of the year? Finally, we have some controversy and difference of opinion here. This is great. I think back in the midseason awards, I voted with Jock for B.J. Upton, but I'm actually going to veer off in a different direction now and uh, throw some support, if you can call it that, considering the category, behind Albert Pujols here. You know, a first-round 30-plus dollar player in the preseason who didn't even get the 400 at-bats, hit 258 with 17 homers, just a very poor return on investment for you know, somebody who should have been the cornerstone of a team. I give him a slight edge over Upton just because of the uh, earlier draft ADP slash higher auction value in the preseason. And if there's a lesson to be taken away from this, I think that we need to keep in mind that, you know, Pujols was complaining about the plantar fasciitis back in spring training. He was late to take the field in the spring and that sort of thing. And I think the lesson is when players get on the wrong side of 30, you know, any of those preseason injuries, maladies, nicks, pulls, strains, nagging things all need to be taken seriously. So there's a lesson there that I'm going to be mindful of less March is that next March is that I'm not going to be as tolerant of early season harbinger injuries, especially in older players. Yeah, that's an excellent point. It's something we're thinking about down the road. Ray, I get what you're saying about Albert Pujols. I also understand what Ryan and Ron are saying about Ryan Braun. But at least these players returned some positive value. And Upton, B.J. Upton, my choice, was a mid-$20 player in most leagues and returned negative value thanks to a batting average way under 200 and his anemic power. He was basically Cody Ransom plus a few stolen bases and, for my money, by far the worst hitter deal in all of fantasy baseball. Jock mentioned how much worse Upton was than another candidate, Josh Hamilton, and, and that I agree with. Nobody likes taking less value than they bid like they did with Josh Hamilton, but at least Josh Hamilton gave you a few bucks to salve your wounds. Actually getting negative value like B.J. Upton provided, that's just way worse for almost any circumstance. Todd, what do you say? My hitting bust of the year is going to be the Cubs' Starlin Castro, even though he has admittedly picked it up a little bit lately. I mean, coming into the year, if you were one to bet on the come, Castro was going in the second and third round of, of drafts, and it just, just didn't happen. Uh, fewer walks, more strikeouts, uh, uh, a drop in power, and a, and a monumental drop in, in, in steals. And uh, we have my bust of the year for hitters, Starlin Castro. So we end up with a three-way split decision, two votes apiece for B.J. Upton, Josh Hamilton, and Ryan Braun as busts of the year among hitters. You know, it's conceivable that given their ADPs, you could have had all three of them on one team. Boy, wouldn't that be a treat. So let's move on to the bust of the year on the pitcher side, and we'll open with a guy who specializes in looking at pitchers, BaseballHQ.com matchups analyst Ryan Bloomfield. Ryan, which pitchers matchup is our biggest bust? Never really thought I'd say this, but I'm going to take Justin Verlander as my bust of the year for, for pitcher. Uh, Verlander was the sure thing starter entering this year, and he returned 
less than $10 of value. Uh, the big thing is that this wasn't exactly an unlucky year for Verlander either. His skills were down. Uh, strikeout to walk rate was below 3, and BPV was less than 100. Uh, both of those were lowest uh, for the first time since 2008. Um, with an ERA near 360 is about what he'll end up with. This definitely wasn't an awful season, but owners who spent top dollar or high draft choice for Verlander were clearly behind the eight ball, uh, both with their staff and definitely with hitting as well. So given where he was taken, I'm going to go with Verlander as bust of the year. Verlander, a controversial choice. Ron Chandler, what do you say? There were quite a few candidates here for me. I was tempted to go with Verlander, given that we all invested over $30 in him and many first-round picks. Uh, but he has returned some value this year. I mean, he's, it's not like he's had an ERA over five or anything like that. My choice, um, I've decided to go with CeCe Sabathia. I'm picking him because he was a 20 to $25 investment in most leagues and has returned negative value this year. What's particularly troubling is that he'd been a consistent $20 pitcher for seven consecutive seasons coming into 2013. By comparison, Verlander has pitched at that level for four straight years and five of the last six. And there are other disappointments like Matt Kane and Jeremy Hellickson, but they haven't pitched at that level for nearly as long as Sabathia has. Sabathia used to be guaranteed money in the bank, which for me makes him the biggest bust this year. Oh, two pretty big names so far, Verlander and Sabathia. Uh, Ray Murphy, what do you say? I'll follow on Ron's lead and throw a second vote behind CeCe Sabathia here, if for no other reason than we've been calling for his decline for roughly a decade now. And since it's finally here, I guess it would be wrong to not take credit for it. But seriously, the guy has been a metronome of throwing, you know, 210, 220, 250 innings a year for so many years now at such good skills and with such good results on such a good team. You know, he seemed like he had become the kind of pitcher that you could just pencil in for that kind of line every year. But as we saw with Roy Halladay and as we've, we're seeing now with Sabathia, you know, pitchers start getting into the, you know, even their early 30s. Sabathia is only 32, but the mileage on the arm starts to take a toll. And, you know, when it comes to pitching investments like this, you always want to get off that wagon a year early rather than a year late. And anybody who looked for one more year at that kind of solid, consistent, reliable performance from Sabathia got burned this year. So he gets my vote for bust of the year on the pitching side. And something that's come up, guys, uh, all year at Baseball HQ Radio when we've been talking about some of these pitchers and their struggles, uh, Sabathia in particular has a lot of innings that really don't get accounted for from all of the Yankees' playoff appearances. If you add up all his starts over those years, plus the time missed not pitching, just ha- taking it easy and recuperating from a long, tough season, it's it's like he's got more seasons on his arm than it actually appears Having said that, I, I for me, uh, I can't take uh, Justin Verlander in particular. Uh, I know a 360 ERA is not vintage Justin Verlander, but it also ain't six-point-something, which is what Josh Johnson of the Jays laid on his hapless fantasy owners. Uh, Johnson and the Blue Jays were the talk of baseball, we all remember, in the offseason, but we all got a reminder that mixing past glory, present hype, and future wishful thinking makes for an intoxicating drug. And anyone who bid on Josh Johnson overdosed on it. Johnson was getting bids in the eight to ten dollar range and returned minus thirty dollar value, minus thirty, thanks to a six ERA and a one sixty whip. 
Of course, most owners probably cut bait on Josh Johnson before he could do the full amount of damage to a team, but I also bet some owners bought into a short stretch when he had 2.80 competence for an ERA before and after his annual injury break. Okay, I'll admit Lucas Harrell was actually worse, but who in the hell bid on Lucas Harrell? Todd, did you bid on Lucas Harrell, or did you take him as your bust pitcher for that matter? Patrick, my friend, the... That little black box may say Josh Johnson earned you minus $30 this season, but you got to keep in mind that that assumes he was on your roster from opening day until now, until the end of the season. And that's just, just not the case. You're going to replace him. You're, you're going to put him on the bench when he was struggling. Owners did not realize anywhere close to that full minus 30. I'm not saying he was helpful, but he wasn't near a minus $30. I don't think you can take the 8 to 10 you spent and, you know, say – he lost 30, and you know, it was a minus 40 incurred on your roster. Uh, he's a third or fourth pitcher in a mixed league, which is, and now and nowadays that's replaceable. You can find someone on the wire uh, to replace him. In, in an AL only, he's your first or second pitcher. He, was, he would have to be my first pitcher in, a, in, an, in an AL only league. Uh, but, you know, in, in a mixed league, he's replaceable. And I did not take Lucas Harrell. However, I agree with Ryan, and I did take Justin Verlander is my pitching bust, and here's why. You drafted Justin Verlander, you bought Justin Verlander, you now have to craft your whole team around Justin Verlander. Uh, you're counting on 220 innings of a mid-2Z array with a couple hundred strikeouts. You had to shift your offense around a bit. You were a little bit behind the eight ball and the, and the top hitters and the counting stats, so you maybe had to take a chance or two, and you don't know if that's going to work out. Uh, you you design the rest of your pitching staff knowing that you have Justin Verlander as your anchor. And when it doesn't work out, you're now in scramble mode. You're probably already in scramble mode for hitting. Now you're in scramble mode for pitching, too. To me, that's a bigger a bigger bust than, than, than trying to find a third or fourth pitcher in a mixed league. Uh, so for me, Justin Verlander was by far the biggest bust uh, amongst the pitchers this year. So that's two votes apiece for Justin Verlander and for CC Sabathia. Let's see if Pat DiCaprio wants to break the tie. I'm assuming that most people aren't going to think of this guy as a bust. But for me, as a personal matter, this guy is my own personal fantasy kryptonite. And as a Yankee fan, he's easily the most disappointing pitcher um, of the year for me. And it's not CC Sabathia. To me, the bust of the year for among pitchers is Phil Hughes. He had 18 wins in 2010, 16 last year in 2012, and I really thought 2013 he might be a potential Cy Young candidate. Yankees get an injury bug. Okay, fine. He's not going to get a lot of wins because their offense is all gone. But his skill set looked plenty good, and I look for a big step forward. Well, while taking that step forward, Phil Hughes slipped on a banana peel. ERA over five, losing three-quarters of his decisions to me, I really expected a lot more from Phil Hughes, and he is easily the bust of the year, although one can make an argument for much bigger names. So we're still sitting on a tie, Sabathia and Verlander. Uh, Harold Nichols, do you want to break this tie? Well, let me throw out uh, another, still another name for uh, a bust of the year pitcher. Certainly uh, no lack of candidates here, but I'm going to go back to uh, bust of the year a year ago, and that's Roy Halladay, who was even uh, more busted this year, if that's, if that's possible. Uh, ERA above six, only a dozen starts out of him. Uh, a lot of folks expected the holiday to bounce back at least a little bit, uh, and that bounce back did not happen. So uh, uh, just one more name to add to the bust of the year category, uh, category here for pitchers. that uh, We certainly have plenty of candidates. 
Apparently we do, yeah, and uh, we're still holding on to that first-place tie. If first place is where you want to be, Jock Thompson, do you care to break the tie, or have you got another choice as well? Okay, I'll throw a new name into the ring with Ian Kennedy, who started the season in Arizona before being dealt late in the season to the Padres. Kennedy's skill set had us projecting $14 worth of value at the beginning of the year, but his control and ability to contain the home run bell fell apart, and he wound up earning $13, which is a $27 difference. Kennedy is my guy here. I think you mean a minus $13 on the value there, Jock, for that minus 27 total loss. So it's another split decision in the bust of the year for pitchers. CC Sabathia and Justin Verlander get two votes apiece to split the honors, if honors is the right word to use. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. It's our second September special with our annual Fantasy Awards Roundtable. I'm Patrick David with Ron Chandler, Ray Murphy, Todd Zola, Pat DiCaprio, Harold Nichols, and Jock Thompson. And guys, let's keep moving ahead to the Fantasy Cy Young Awards for 2013. We'll start this round with Ron Chandler looking at Cy Young Awards in the American League. Well, I get to lead off here, but I know I'm immediately going off the board because I know nobody's going to pick this guy. Um, but based upon the way I view value and, and looking for profitability, um, my fantasy Cy Young in the AL is going to be a pitcher who actually pitched quite well in 2012, but we expected him to tank this year. Um, he was an end gamer in most drafts this past spring. Uh, his ADP was 5.11, and after he was suspended for PED use last year, we expected that 40-year-old Bartolo Colon would revert back to his non-productive self. Instead, he posted an ERA under three in nearly 200 innings, and returned nearly $20 in profit. All these numbers are even better than last year, and really, we just all assumed that after. Uh, getting suspended for PEDs, he would be a, a major bust this year. But um, he was the most profitable starting pitcher in the American League. So he's my uh, AL Cy Young. A surprise vote for Bartolo Colon of Oakland. Ray Murphy, who gets your vote as the American League Cy Young for fantasy pitchers in 2013? I'm going to turn to Detroit for my choice, but probably not the obvious one. Max Scherzer is probably going to win the actual Cy Young Award. He may even pick up some support from this group for this category. But for me, it's one of his teammates, and not just Verlander, but Annabelle Sanchez, who gets my vote. Sanchez's skills are right in the same zip code as Scherzer's, and if you look at what it cost to acquire him back in March, Sanchez was costing a fraction of Scherzer. You could probably get him 10 or 12 rounds later in a straight draft or you know, 10 or $15 cheaper in an auction, and he's provided almost the same skills. You know, if he missed some time uh, in August, I believe, so that cost him a couple of wins. But the skills, the strikeouts, the innings, the ERA, all, you know, are in the same ballpark as Scherzer's and cost you a lot less to get him. So I'm going to cast my vote for Sanchez and tip my cap to him for helping out one of my teams this year in particular. A little while ago, Ron was talking about his value method. He wanted to look for profit. And I used a kind of a similar method to look for my Cy Young Award winners and my most valuable players. And my method was I took not only the profit but the actual production value of each player and added them together. So if you had high production and a bit of a profit, you could compete with a guy who had lower production but a higher profit. And on that basis, my Cy Young Award winner in the American League is Hisashi Iwakuma. I picked him at the midway point of the season on this basis, and he hung in there well enough that I'm going to give him the nod again for the full season. I know he had a rocky stretch just before the break, but I've heard people say he had a poor second half, and I don't buy that. 
Iwakuma's whip was up a smidge in the second half, but it was still great at 116. And he did have a worrisome drop in command down to about three strikeouts per walk in the second half versus six in the first half. But his second half ERA was lower by about 70 points than in the first half, and his OPS against was lower by about 35 points. Overall, Iwakuma is going to finish with mid-teen wins on a pretty bad team. He's going to have a 275, 1.00 line in around 220 innings. Those are ratio numbers that really help a fantasy team. Overall, he's going to be a $25 or $26 pitcher who only costs 2 or $3 a draft, maybe even less. Iwakuma's only competition in my books is Max Scherzer, who did have 50 more strikeouts and a lot of wins. But he had the same ERA and whip, and he had fewer innings pitched, and he probably cost a team $20 or $25 more than Iwakuma at the draft. Scherzer's going to have to settle for the real Cy Young, because Hisashi Iwakuma gets my vote for the Cy Young here. Todd Zola, which way are you going on your American League Cy Young vote? I think it's pretty ironic. For the past couple of months, the Twitterverse has been uh, lining up candidates to uh, take on Mad Max and his and his high wins total for the AL Cy Young. And maybe at the time, uh, peripheral-wise, someone like Felix or someone like you, Darvish, or, or Chris Sale could have given Scherzer a run for his money. But come season's end, guess what? Max Scherzer's peripherals are Cy Young worthy. Uh, let alone, you know, if he could have the same number of wins, the mid-teens wins as some of these other pitchers, his peripherals alone, strikeout rate, walk rate, etc., are, are Cy Young worthy. So I think he, at this point, for, for real baseball, he is a, a strong and, and the leading Cy Young candidate. And I'm going to give it to him for fantasy as well. I agree with Patrick that the, uh, the rates are awful close, if not better, for Iwakuma. But I'll take the 50 strikeouts and I'll take the wins. They Call them lucky, call them what you will. Uh, call them on your record. You got them. They count. They get value in fantasy. Uh, I understand the, the, the bang for the buck argument. But I'm still going to go Max Scherzer. I think the uh, the outstanding season that he had is worthy of the fantasy AL Cy Young. All right, then. Uh, how about Pat DiCaprio? Which way are you going on your American League Cy Young vote? Don't chase wins. Don't chase wins. We're told that from day one of Fantasy 101. But why not? Wins matter, folks, and they matter a lot in fantasy. In fact, they matter so much that, to me, Max Scherzer is easily the fantasy Cy Young of the year. And it isn't just the wins. The fact that there's daylight between him and every other pitcher in wins, and certainly in the American League. And if you're in a league that counts wins minus losses or winning percentage, well, that daylight is even bigger. Now, of course, striking out over 10 batters per nine, so that's not, uh, you know, that's not small potatoes either. But the and that's just icing on this beautiful wind-soaked cake that is Max Scherzer's 2013. All right, Max Scherzer gets a vote for Cy Young and possibly as a delicious treat. Harold Nichols, who do you vote for on your American League Cy Young ballot? When we did this at midseason, I voted for Iwakuma. But uh, this time, I think I'm going to have to agree with Patrick and go with Max Scherzer. Uh, Patrick's right that wins do matter. And uh, those wins, I think, giving the edge over Iwakuma and uh, over you, Darvish, uh, with other numbers, ERA, strikeouts, and those sorts of things, very, very close. So I think my vote... Uh, finally as we wrap up the season would be for Scherzer. Starting to get a little confusing around here with two Patricks on the scene. Just to be clear, uh, I voted for Hisashi Iwakuma and Pat DiCaprio has voted for uh, Max Scherzer. Jock Thompson, what do you say? 
Scherzer was my pick at the season's halfway point, and nothing's changed. He's going to finish first in AL wins and whip. He's second in strikeouts. He's top five in ERA. Sure, some luck is always a factor in wins, but hey, it's a category in most formats, and it probably puts Scherzer over the, over the top here in this award. So the Max Scherzer bandwagon is uh, full of momentum. Ryan Bloomfield, you want to jump aboard? So despite you calling me out there on my, my Verlander pick there, Patrick, I, I will forgive you. And I'll actually back you up here with uh, Hisashi Iwakuma as my fantasy Cy Young uh, for the AL. Um, Iwakuma was my midseason pick as well, and I'm sticking with it. He did fall back a bit uh, since our midseason roundtable show, as Patrick mentioned, but, uh, but a 266 ERA in a whip right around one overall in the season just netted Iwakuma owners huge profits, and that's really why I'm taking him over Scherzer was just the the value and profit that that he provided. Um, Iwakuma helped me finish in the money in one of my auction leagues, so I'll return the favor and name him Cy Young um, in the American League. So we have a couple of wise and considered votes for Hisashi Iwakuma, outshone by the glittery sparkle of Max Scherzer's wins total. I bet Scherzer gets the real Cy Young in a few weeks as well, and he's probably deserving of it. Now let's move on to the National League and our fantasy Cy Young. We'll open with BaseballHQ.com co-GM and speculator columnist Ray Murphy. What do you say, Ray? My choice is limping to the finish line, but I'm going to stick with him anyway. Much like Ron's choice of Bartolo Colon over in the AL, when you find somebody who's completely undrafted or taken in reserve picks or in the end game that provides massive profit, it's hard to ignore that, and that gives a leg up over some bigger name choices here. So... On the NL side, that guy for me is Patrick Corbin, who you know was just about off the radar until very late in the spring. Came in with you know he's going to get up to around 15 wins, a very low three ERA, and that's despite a terrible September. He was brilliant right up till early to mid-August, and you know that's the point where you know he probably pitched a lot of fantasy teams into contention on his own, and even as he ran out of gas down the finish line, people were hopefully able to get away from him or bench him a little bit and let somebody else push them over the edge, but. Corbin gave a lot of people a big run into contention earlier in the season, and I'm going to give him my vote for that reason. Patrick Corbin for me. I really wanted to pick Jose Fernandez because Fernandez, frankly, is a better story. But I took Clayton Kershaw of the Dodgers, and I know I'm going to be roundly accused of ignoring my own rules that I just talked about, player valuation and profit. But listen, in tout mixed, Kershaw went for $28, which I imagine was pretty representative of many leagues. High $20 auction bids, low first, high second round in a lot of straight drafts. He's going to finish with value in the low $40 range. So if we say $42 final value, that's $14 of profit added back to his actual $42 in production. Kershaw is at $56 of combined value, and that puts him within a dollar or two of Jose Fernandez. And for me, he's the best pitcher in baseball. He gets my Cy Young vote. Over to Todd Zola. Patrick, you're not alone. I also struggle with the the whole bang for the buck versus just better stats conundrum when it comes to talking about these sorts of things, fantasy MVPs and Cy Youngs. But I, too, went with uh, with Clayton Kershaw. I, there may be pitchers with a better bang for the buck, but sort of as I talked about with Verlander, when you take Clayton Kershaw, you're taking a big chance. You are really taking a chance that that, that Kershaw comes through for you. You put a first-round pick, you put a very big portion of your auction budget on him, and he came through. Uh, and because of that, because he... he you're counting so much on him coming through for you, and he came through, 
He's my NL Cy Young pitcher. You know, I expect to hear that top value guy, top draft pick guy argument coming through when we talk about our MVPs as well. Uh, Pat DiCaprio looking at the National League Cy Young for fantasy baseball. Who's your pick? In real baseball, nobody likes to give closures any consideration for Cy Young. But in fantasy, I think closures deserve strong consideration for Cy Young. There's nobody that can influence a single category more than a top closer. That's why my fantasy Cy Young in the National League this year is Craig Kimbrell. Now, I know Clayton Kershaw is going to get a lot of votes, and you know he probably deserves it. But the fact is, there's no juggernauts in the National League. And Kershaw, as good as he is, his uh, win total wasn't what we would expect from a top starting pitcher. And look, when you get 50 saves, a whip below 0.9, 100 Ks, and over $40 worth of production from a reliever, I think that guy has to be the fantasy Cy Young of the year in the National League. And my closer identifier algorithm agrees, identifying Kimbrell as the most valuable reliever and the safest reliever in baseball. Well, perhaps a bit of an unusual vote there, Pat, but uh, certainly defensible. Uh, Harold Nichols, what do you say? National League Cy Young. Another vote for Kershaw from me. uh, That ERA below two tells the story. He's uh, uh, been very, very consistent all year. And that consistency, I think, is an important part of this. If you look at the at his PQS uh, DOM scores, 88% PQS DOM, only 3% disaster, uh, absolutely phenomenal. A consistent elite performer throughout the season. So my vote goes to Kershaw. Jock Thompson, you're down there in Southern California. You get to see Clayton Kershaw, I imagine, quite a bit. So you get your vote also? Clayton Kershaw will finish first in Major League earned run average. He'll finish first in uh, National League strikeouts, perhaps first in whip. And he'll be among the top five or six pitchers in National League wins. No other NL pitcher has dominated at the top of the primary fantasy categories as he has. So I'm with the majority on this one. It's Clayton Kershaw. Ryan Bloomfield, do you agree? I'm going to throw a new name uh, into the ring here and go with Matt Harvey as my, my fantasy Cy Young winner in the National League. Um, yes, he was out for the season, as we all know, but he still put up uh, 180 innings of elite numbers this season with a 2.27 ERA and a .93 WHIP. Um, that elbow injury is a shame, and I'm I'm probably avoiding him next year uh, due to questions around that. Um, but he was the best pitcher in baseball straight up this year, outside of Kershaw, who cost a lot more on draft day. Harvey's 157. BPV was the highest among uh, qualifying starters in the game this year. So despite the uh, despite the injury down the stretch, Harvey's my pick uh, due to his, his, again, his elite stats and uh, relatively small cost on draft day. Yeah, I have to admit, I looked at Matt Harvey myself on the value basis. Uh, Ron Chandler, you talked about value all uh, show so far. What's your call on the National League Cy Young? Well, I really can't argue with any of these guys. Um you know, Kershaw was clearly the best pitcher in the National League this this year. Kimbrell is an interesting pick. Corbin and Harvey, uh, both very profitable profitable picks, kind of fit in with with my line of evaluating um, these award winners. But I tell you, I, I have to go back to Jose Fernandez again. I mean, his overall earnings ranked just behind Kershaw. Um, and the big difference, though, is that Fernandez's earnings were all profit. I mean, he had. He was uh, uh, he cost nothing to put on your team this year, um, and Kershaw you had to pay a lot for him. Kershaw had a great year, but his profit was only about eight or nine bucks. Fernandez was pure profit this year, and for that reason, he has to be my my fantasy Cy Young Award winner in the 
in the National League. Yeah, but I wonder if uh, Jose Fernandez's value, if you looked at how much Fab got spent on it, might be a little higher and therefore a little less profitable. That gets you into that whole question about how do you value guys when you're talking about Fab versus what they cost during the uh, regular draft. Of course, he wasn't eligible in a lot of leagues. Uh, Jose Fernandez wasn't as part of a uh, part of a, a National League or Mixed League draft. Uh, so whatever way you look at it, Clayton Kershaw is our clear winner of the Cy for the National League. And he's probably likely, as Max Scherzer is, to repeat when the real Cy Young Awards are dished out. Now, before we go to our most valuable players, let's go to our top story of the fantasy season. And I'll kick this one off myself. This might be a little self-serving, but Baseball HQ Radio went to twice a week. And, uh, well, we can't really say exactly how many listeners we're pulling in right now because we're still trying to confirm it. But it's a lot. Now, my mom said if you don't blow your own horn, you never get to hear the tune you want. And it was a tremendous surprise to learn that we're getting as many downloads every show as we are, even after we went to twice weekly, or maybe because of it. So thanks to everyone on the show, you guys, especially to everybody who listens regularly, because we couldn't have done it without you. So thanks very much. I do want to mention an interesting story in baseball as well. The two-team wildcard is really something I'm not a fan of, but it came into its own this year with a terrific race in the American League. At first blush, it doesn't seem to affect fantasy baseball, but I'm pretty sure that it's going to down the road because teams are going to see this season especially as a reason not to throw in the towel too early. Who thought at the trading deadline, for instance, that the Cleveland Indians and the Kansas City Royals would actually be involved, somewhat tangentially in the case of the Royals, in a playoff race going down the stretch? I believe that as a result of this, deadline deals, which were already declining because teams are so focused on retaining their young talent, are going to be even more rare. And I think that has real fantasy ramifications for single league formats that have fab bidding on crossover players who change leagues at the deadline. Once again, I pass the baton to Todd Zola. My answer for the story of the year in fantasy uh, is what poker players will uh, call a tell. Uh, you can get a little feel for how I approach the game. I'm going to say it's a tie. Uh, a tie between the uh, paucity of steals in the league this year uh, and how that might affect projections next year. Uh, the trend was for drop in power. I think we all recognize that. But the steals have been trending upward the past few years, and I think we anticipated there being more steals in the league this year whether it was because it was a preponderance of, of speedsters uh, coming over from the NL to the AL and either getting hurt or, or team situations, et cetera, not just, just not running as much or, or you know, well, you know, what the circumstances were. I, uh, steals, because it's such an interesting category, I think it needs to be looked at and in a game theory sense try to figure out, you know, where will steals be next year, how much are steals going to be worth in a projection and evaluation and ranking and game theory sense. Uh, the second uh, tie, the the second part of the uh, the story for me is I guess it could actually be related, and that's uh, defense and how defense now can be incorporated or possibly should be incorporated into projection analysis with the with the shifts that are being done with the proliferation of the defensive shifts, uh, players out of position, uh, cutting down on on the base hits, uh, looking at the BABIP to see if certain teams have BABIPs that are better or worse than others, how that might affect a fly ball pitcher versus a ground ball pitcher, the parks that they're in. Do we need to look at certain players that have the shift put on 
uh, and is, are other teams going to begin to adapt to use the shift? And is is David Ortiz going to suffer? Are players like that going to suffer going forward uh, if indeed the shift has proven to be successful and more teams ad adopt it? Uh, so uh, I'm going to pass on some of the other uh, possible stories that I'm sure my colleagues are about to mention and, and go with a couple of game theory stories of the year in fantasy. Yeah, I think that defensive positioning story is going to have real important ramifications for the game over the next couple of years until there's some kind of rebound where guys like David Ortiz, for instance, have responded intelligently to the shift by going the other way and just punching the ball into left field and taking his base hits. He's up over 300 for the first time in a while, and partly it's because he's taking what the defense gives him, and perhaps that's going to be the reaction that forces more teams to play their uh, positioning games a little less aggressively. Pat DiCaprio, what's your story of the year in fantasy baseball? While the usage of performance-enhancing drugs is probably the real fantasy story of the year and certainly is the elephant in the room when we're discussing this, to me the biggest story was Mike Trout's utter refusal to regress. His prospects for 2013 were easily the most discussed issue in the preseason, and there were vocal advocates on both sides myself included. I really expected Mike Trout to regress significantly. And after a $48 season last year, Trout did the same thing again in 2013. And he improved his batting eye, his expected batting average, his expected PX, his BPV, and his general skill set. To me, he looks like an even better player now than he was last year. So in one year, Mike Trout went from big-time regression candidate to a legitimate contender for the greatest fantasy player ever over a two-year period, and certainly the greatest fantasy player ever over his first two years in Major League Baseball. Harold Nichols, what do you say? What's your big story of the year? For me, the big story was, I think, the um, PED suspensions and the whole biogenesis scandal. Certainly in terms of fan in fantasy terms, uh, those things hurt a lot of fantasy teams who weren't ready for some of their top performers to be suspended for uh, the last third of the season. Uh, and the fact that we had conflicting reports in the media as to when those suspensions would take place uh, certainly didn't help people get ready for them. And then down the road, I think there are other far-reaching effects here. I mean, uh, how do we project what these people are going to do coming back from suspension next year? Uh, we've seen in the past some of the suspended folks, like Melky Cabrera, did not do nearly as well this season. Others, like Bartolo Colon, uh, apparently didn't the uh, suspension and the, the PEDs didn't seem to matter. So uh, leaves us in a bit of limbo in terms of how we project uh, how these returning players are going to to do next year and how much do you want to pay for them that is an interesting question and also if we believe that steroids were part of the game and are being pushed out of it by various methods whether you believe that or not but if if it is true how do we project any player you know we we don't know for a fact that any player has been perfectly clean over a long enough time to establish a performance baseline it's a it's a real mess uh, jock thompson what's your big story I'm going to cheat a little here in that I have a couple of stories. The first being the relative difficulty in finding power as compared to 2012. American League teams averaged 179 homers last season, and that figure is going to be about 10 homers less at the end of 2013, or about 150 home runs total fewer than the previous season. And my second story is how this year's group of expected Tommy John surgery comeback candidates never materialized, almost as a group, which going forward is going to make major league teams and fantasy owners alike rethink our 12-month recovery expectation for this type of operation. Yeah, it is interesting that we've uh, taken what was a very serious surgical procedure and kind of turned it in our minds, I think, into uh, sort of 
something that happens every day, nothing really big to worry about. But it still is a very serious surgical procedure. And sometimes pitchers come back from it well, and sometimes they don't. And we have to really be, I think, a little more cautious. You're right, Jock, in that uh, expectation that everything's going to be hunky-dory within that exact 12-month time uh, time commitment. Uh, Ryan Bloomfield, what's your big story of the year for fantasy? Yeah, so I'm going to echo Harold uh, here uh, and, and go with PEDs as my, my really the biggest story fantasy-wise um, this year. Uh, you know, not only just for suspensions hurting players this year, um, but the fact that the you know the precedence was set this year of suspensions being doled out by Major League Baseball without a positive test. Um, that, that's a big deal. Uh, the PED cloud will continue to affect our you know our fantasy projections and how we analyze players. It's always going to be you know, kind of in the back of your head whenever there's a, you know, a true breakout season or some kind of unexpected result, um, you know, that's going to be one of the possibilities that uh, that could explain it. So um, fantasy story of the year, and I, you know, I don't think we're, we're done with it, unfortunately. Ron Chandler, I know you and I have talked in the past about the effect that PEDs has had on projections. Uh, are PEDs going to be your story of the year as well? Well, I uh, was tempted to go with Mike Trout as the story of the year. It, I mean, it is a great story and one that we may tell our grandkids and one that I will retell in due time. But for me, I have to agree with Ryan again that the shift in the PED saga has more far-reaching effects on our game. Um, like Ryan said, it's the first time MLB suspended players without them having failed a drug test. Uh, for the first time, a player was caught in a huge lie and in doing so cast out on the honesty and integrity throughout the sport. For the first time, one of the game's all-time greats may have his career ended prematurely by the threat of the longest suspension ever handed down. And despite all this, formerly suspended players are still signing lucrative new contracts, effectively diluting the impact of all these perceived penalties. I, I think this season effectively negated that the huge sense of magnitude and consequence that MLB has been trying to sell us for the past decade. You know, next March, when Ryan Braun hits a home run to help the Brewers defeat the Braves on opening day, all of this year's nonsense will be forgotten. And uh, I think that's, that's a huge change in the whole paradigm when it comes to PEDs in Major League Baseball. And finally, Ray Murphy, BaseballHQ.com, co-general manager and speculator columnist, for you, what was the big story in fantasy baseball in 2013? I certainly understand why Harold, Ryan, and Ron would all choose to talk about PEDs this year. And in terms of what we're talking about from this season 10 years from now or longer out, I think that that's probably the right choice for the story of the year here. But since I'm going last here, I want to end on a more positive note and circle back to Pat DiCaprio's note about Mike Trout and his lack of regression. It's a very good point. I agree with everything he said about Trout, and I want to extend it a little bit to talk about Miguel Cabrera, too, because if not for the presence of Chris Davis, we'd be talking about Miguel Cabrera wrapping up his second straight Triple Crown right now. Yes, the Triple Crown is a bit of an antiquated notion, but it hadn't happened before last year, going all the way back to 1967 for a reason. It is darn hard to do, and Cabrera is coming this close to doing it twice in a row. The fact that both Cabrera and Trout can sustain levels of performance for two years that are so clearly above everyone else in the league is staggering, and the Whirlpool principle should be bringing them back down to average levels of performance. And we saw with Cabrera getting dinged up late in this season how quickly an injury can derail this sort of performance and 
take a player off of their peak levels. But that hasn't happened to either of these guys in two years now. And I'm going to end on a positive note and just doff my cap to both of these guys for their staggering performance in 2013 and in 2012 before that, for that matter. Miguel Cabrera and Mike Trout, everyone. Well, PEDs certainly have been the gifts that just keep on giving, kind of like coal in our stocking day after day after day. So it's nice, Ray, to hear you talk about those two fine performers avoiding the regression requirement that we seem to think that all players have to follow and just doing it year in and year out. And I wonder uh, how they're going to shape up next year. Number one, number two with Trout on top would be my guess because of Cabrera's season-ending injury, and uh, it'll be interesting to see next year. We'll be talking about our fantasy MVPs in just a moment, but I know some of you guys wanted to invite listeners down to First Pitch Arizona, Baseball HQ's uh, fantasy baseball seminar, November 1st to 3rd down there in Phoenix at the uh, Arizona Fall League. Let me ask anyone who wants in here, what's the one best thing about First Pitch Arizona? And let me start with Ron Chandler. You've been down there plenty. Here's what makes First Pitch Arizona special for me. Now, aside from the fact that I've been doing this now for 19 years, this year, we've got more speakers than we've ever had before. And you have to understand that these speakers, they don't wait to get invited back each year. They contact us in June and July and ask if they can come. I mean, they enjoy this as much as the attendees do. Um, so we bring in 150 or so hardcore fantasy leaders just like you to watch some of the top prospects. This year we'll be seeing guys like Byron Buxton and uh, Jameson Tyon, Danny Holson, Jorge, Sol- Jorge Soler. Up close and personal, these ballparks, they're empty. You get to sit in the front row and watch these guys who are going to be playing in the majors next year. And in the mornings before the games, we have all these seminar sessions that we get to talk baseball, fantasy baseball. We look back at the season uh, in review. We look ahead. Uh, there's just so much to like about this program. So I encourage you to uh, to attend. It's uh, it's just a great weekend. Three days out in the sun in November after Major League Baseball is done. You just can't beat it. Ryan Bloomfield, what do you think? First pitch is only a short drive for me as I already live in Arizona, luckily. Um, that is by coincidence. Uh, but I would literally walk the 100 miles from my house to the event through the desert to get to this thing. Um, even if it was in August. It is a fantastic event. Uh, just mixes some great fantasy discussion, breakout sessions um, with actual games in November. And it's just a great time uh, hanging out with the crowd. I really can't wait for this year's event. Jock Thompson, what's the one best thing about First Pitch Arizona? Yeah, there's really no one best thing about First Pitch Arizona for me and probably for a lot of us who've been attending these events since the turn of the century. Obviously, when I first started coming to Arizona, it was to watch the prospects and talk to scouts in the stands. But the Arizona Fall League has added the Rising Stars Prospect All-Star Game, which is now one of the highlights of this weekend. The restaurant in Phoenix and Scottsdale are terrific. And hey, the weather in Arizona is amazing. And of course, now we all have friends that we've made over the years and co-attendees who we get to revisit and catch up with. I mean, really, what's not to like? Yeah, I really like that point you made, Jock, about the people that you get to meet and then you keep coming back. And that's a, that's a real plus for me as well. Uh, Ray Murphy, you're going back out there. What's the attraction for you? So much I could talk about here, but I'll just make a quick point about the way that the conference sets my mindset for the coming season. We all arrive in Arizona on Thursday, the day of Game 7 of the World Series, if there is one. 
by the time the conference starts on Friday morning, the 2013 season may be just hours old. But by the end of the weekend, I have my mind so firmly planted into 2014 mode that it shapes the entire way I think about the rest of the offseason and all my leagues and even going into the winter meetings and the hot stove and all that stuff. I'm just sharper and I'm coming in from a better place and I've thought about things that I might not have normally thought about for a couple of months yet. It's just such a jump into the offseason and such a turbocharge into planning my teams, my rosters, my strategies for the coming season. It's just fantastic in that regard to turn the page and really jump into the next campaign with both feet and get great insights from other people who have thought about issues and thought about scenarios that I hadn't even come up with yet. And by the time I'm flying home, I just can't wait for 2014 to start, even though it's five months away. Yeah, that's the interesting thing. You go to all those seminars and you hear all this great stuff and new ideas about how to think about the game, and then you got to go home and figure out how am I going to apply all this to the leagues that I play in and do better next year in my leagues. Uh, it's, a re- it's a real plus. Uh, let's give the last word to Todd Zola. Todd, you've been out there lots. What's your big attraction at First Pitch Arizona? Okay, listen, here's the deal. Everything the guys have said is completely true. It's a blast. It's just a great weekend. The friendship, the camaraderie, the speakers, uh, the the information, watching the games, the minor league information, the sleepers that you hear about, the chance to talk to so many great minds. It's, it's fantastic. But here's the real reason why you need to go to first pitch Arizona. Daylight savings at time occurs during first pitch, except Phoenix doesn't turn the clocks back. So while you hear everybody else in the country saying, I'm going to lose an hour, I'm going to lose an hour, I'm going to lose an hour, if you go to first pitch Arizona for 24 years, that means you lose 24 hours. That means you're a day younger. Of course, if you live in Arizona, you know, you're you're the same age. Sorry, guys. But if you don't live in Arizona, you're a day younger. If you in order to go 24, you've got to go the first year. So why not make it this year? And get that head start on making yourself a day younger over the next 24 years, even better than Oil of Olay. First Pitch Arizona, November 1st to 3rd in Phoenix. Go to BaseballHQ.com slash seminars. You can get more information there. Find out uh, all the speakers who are going to be there. That list is constantly being updated. And, of course, you want to register as well. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. Patrick Davitt here with Ron Chandler, Ray Murphy, Pat DiCaprio, Harold Nichols, Jock Thompson, Ryan Bloomfield, and Todd Zola from BaseballHQ.com giving out our annual Fantasy Baseball Awards. And we're going to wrap things up with our most valuable fantasy players of the 2013 season. We're going to start with the American League, and we'll kick it off with Todd Zola. Well, I have uh, Miggy and Trout pretty much neck and neck for uh, top overall value in the American League. You talked about my conundrum before as far as bang for the buck versus just top value. I'm going to go a little bang for the buck and go with Chris Davis as my ALL fantasy MVP. Uh, combination of the numbers themselves and the bang for the buck that you got from where you drafted him. He may have even been a, a corner for you in, in mixed leagues uh, back in back in March. Now, as it turns out, he's also my clubhouse leader for 2014 bust of the year. Some people are afraid of snakes, and some may be afraid of heights. I'm actually afraid of both snakes and heights, but I'm also afraid of strikeouts. And it, with, with the great year that Davis had, he's still striking out a ton. And I, it, I'm just going to be a little bit weary, leery next year about trusting him to repeat. I'm going to need to see it. 
uh, before I can uh, before I trust it. So right now, fantasy uh, MVP, but we'll see about next year. First vote in the American League for most valuable fantasy player goes to Chris Davis. Now we'll throw it over to Pat DiCaprio. I know, I know. Everyone's going to say that it's Miguel Cabrera or Chris Davis for the AL MVP in fantasy this year. And those are both good choices. I can't really argue with either one. But to me, I'm going to stick with Mike Trout as the fantasy MVP in the AL. The fact that he was the biggest story of the year, in my eye, doesn't make him the AL fantasy MVP. What makes him the MVP is that he is the best fantasy player in either league. And is head and shoulders above Miguel Cabrera and Chris Davis. At least when you look at the cold dope, you want to use dollar values generated, wins above replacement, or any stat other than fantasy points. Basically, Trout is the most valuable player in the AL. He offers stolen bases, something that Davis and Cabrera do not. And Cabrera and Davis, I think, are both regression candidates for next year. So while you might say Miguel Cabrera, you might say Chris Davis, the fact is you could have gotten similar stats if you owned one as compared to the other. Miguel Cabrera, Chris Davis, roughly equal. But there's only one Mike Trout, and that makes him the fantasy MVP. So a vote for Chris Davis, one for Mike Trout. Let's move on to Southern California's Jock Thompson. Jock? I'm taking Mike Trout and a squeaker over Miguel Cabrera and Chris Davis. Now, the other two candidates have a significant lead in home runs and RBIs, but it's at least neutralized by Trout's 33 stolen bases. This could go down to the very last day of the season, but I'm giving Trout a slight nod here. So Jock takes the angel. Not exactly a betting surprise. Uh, Harold Nichols, who gets your vote for the most valuable fantasy player in the American League? I'm probably in a minority here, but I'm going to throw out a vote for Miguel Cabrera. And the reason is that I think of of all the folks, removing him from someone's fantasy team is going to hurt more than removing uh, Chris Davis. Uh, certainly uh, Cabrera performed at a level that you might have expected from him, but that batting average, close to 350, along with 40-plus uh, home runs, 130-plus RBIs, if you take that away from most fantasy teams, they will drop a lot in the standings. I think perhaps even more than if you removed uh, any of the other players we're talking about. So uh, that's what I would, uh, why I would, uh, I think, vote for Cabrera. Yeah, those extra 50 or 60 points of batting average over that many at-bats could make a pretty big difference in the batting average category if you're playing a rotisserie style, a lot of extra hits as well, way less strikeouts than Chris Davis. It's a pretty good argument, I have to say. Uh, Ryan Bloomfield, what's your take? So I'm going to side with Todd on this one. I'm going to go with Chris Davis. Uh, he was my midseason pick due to value and comparable numbers with Trout and Cabrera. And really, nothing changed that uh, since our midseason show. So I'm going to stick with Davis here at the end of the year. Um, his power skills were just historic this year. A 260-plus power index and a home run per fly ball rate over 30%. Uh, like I said, didn't cost a top three pick or very much at the auction table. So give me Davis's numbers along with a first-round pick. Uh, well, as, as long as it wasn't one of the, the busts that we mentioned earlier. But Davis is my choice. So Chris Davis pulls ahead a little bit, but we had a few different votes. Ron Chandler, what say you? Yeah, Trout and Cabrera. Those those are the, the $40 guys who cost $40. Uh, so for me, important players, building blocks. Um, from the purposes of fantasy, though, I, I, I can't in good conscience uh, call them MVPs. I really have to go for, for the profitability. And, and this is where I, I agree again with, with Ryan. Uh, Chris Davis, uh, he had, he brought his owners that tandem of huge earnings and the biggest profit. 
He was an eighth rounder in most drafts. It typically went in the $15 to $20 range in auction leagues. Uh, he's earned nearly $40 this year, which is nearly $25 in pure profit. Now think about that, $25 in pure profit. To put that in perspective, it would be like drafting Davis and getting the numbers you expected from him, then getting David Ortiz's numbers on top of that. That's basically what you got uh, with Chris Davis this year. It's a huge season. It was my MVP in the American League. Well, I think I see a trend forming here. We've had a couple of votes in a row for Chris Davis. Uh, Ray Murphy, do you want to add to that, or are you going to take us in another direction? As much as I showed the love to Trout and Cabrera earlier when we were talking about the story of the year, I've got to cast the MVP vote for Chris Davis. As Ryan says, it's all about value, and as helpful as it is to a fantasy team to take Trout or Cabrera 1-2 and have them return that for you, it's that much more helpful to get the equivalent value from Chris Davis down in round 9 or 10 or for half the price or whatever the difference in acquisition cost is. And that's why I've got to cast my vote for Chris Davis. So it's my turn. I thought my vote might end up breaking a tie of some kind. And then Ryan, Ron, and Ray all stepped up with pretty much the same arguments that I would have made. Chris Davis, for me, is a clear winner as the fantasy MVP for the American League. I will add that Davis topped all the hitters in my combined value method. His $40 production ended up being a $25 profit on what was usually about a $15 bid. So you take $40 in production plus $25 in profit, that's $65 of combined value. He's going to end up leading the league in home runs, probably lead RBIs as well with Miggy resting his weary bones for the playoffs. What's more surprising to me is that Davis is up around 300 and his high strikeout rate says that won't be sustainable. For that reason, I kind of had to laugh when Todd said Davis is his early leader for 2014 bust of the year as well. But I wonder if Davis might be the exception that tests the rule about strikeouts and batting average just because he hits the ball so darn hard and to all fields. Back in 2001, Jim Tomey struck out even more than Davis, and yet he hit 291. Is Chris Davis going to be overbid in 2014? Well, you can pretty much bet on it. But a pure bust? I'm not so sure. Now let's move to the most valuable player in the National League, and we'll start with Baseball HQ Radio's National League analyst, Harold Nichols. Nick, who's your NL MVP? Well, I'm going to start off with the first vote for uh, National League MVP for Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, my guess is mine won't be the only, the only such vote. Uh, 300 batting average, 30-plus home runs, uh, leading the National League in RBIs. Uh, not as good a value pick, perhaps, as Chris Davis was in the American League, but still... Uh, a, a very a value pick and a real breakout season. Uh, here's the guy that could be a, a top first baseman in all formats for 2014 and uh, maybe for a number of years to come. Jock Thompson, who's your vote for the most valuable player in the National League? Well, I love Andrew McCutcheon, but Paul Goldschmidt is the NL leader in home runs, and he wins the National League RBI crown pretty easily too, both of which with large advantages over McCutcheon. And he's also hitting over 300 with 15 stolen bases, which really aren't that far behind McCutcheon. Like the AL Fantasy MVP, it's another close battle, but I'm taking Paul Goldschmidt. Okay, two in a row for Paul Goldschmidt of Arizona. Let's move on to Ryan Bloomfield. Ryan, you want to get on this train? Yeah, it's Paul Goldschmidt for me too, uh, really for all the reasons that Jock and Harold uh, just mentioned. The the baseball forecaster actually gave Goldschmidt an upside projection of 30-plus home runs, which was pretty bold at the time, uh, but he smashed through that even. 
the underlying skills supported this season. It's largely sustainable, in my opinion. And uh, Goldschmidt will be my top pick as the NL uh, first baseman heading into next year's drafts. Uh, maybe the top first baseman overall, though Chris Davis may have something to say about that. Um, but Goldschmidt's my pick, both for fantasy MVP, and I uh, really carried the the Diamondbacks on his back often this season. So that's three votes for Paul Goldschmidt of Arizona. Ray Murphy, what do you think? I'll take my vote and make it four in a row for Goldschmidt. Agree with much of, much of what has been said so far. I think it's mostly sustainable, although I'm a little skeptical of the speed or at least how long the speed will be part of his portfolio. He's young, and he might be able to pick off the stolen bases in the teams for a little while to come, but I'm not so sure that's a core part of his game, especially as people start paying a little more attention to him. But dovetailing back to what I think it was Jock said in the story of the year about power being down, even without the power, when you get these batting average and home runs and RBIs from a position like first base where you need that kind of output and then you get the speed thrown in on top of it, it's the kind of output and the kind of profit that just takes a team to an advantage all year long and really propels you into contention. So for me, I'll go with Goldschmidt as my NL MVP. Okay, four straight votes for Paul Goldschmidt. I do understand this. I really do. I I get the love, but I think it's misplaced. Kind of a schoolboy crush, if you will. I know Goldschmidt's having a great year. As of Friday, a $42 player. But also as of Friday, the San Francisco Giants' Hunter Pence was a $35 player with the same sort of positive across-the-board stats that Nick and Jock and Ryan and Ray all mentioned in supporting Goldschmidt's candidacy. Pence will finish the year with mid-20s in home runs and stolen bases, mid-90s in RBIs, and a two ninety or so batting average. Yes, Goldschmidt has better stats than most of those, but I'll bet you my autographed Miguel Cabrera jersey, which I got during First Pitch Arizona, by the way, that Pence went for way less at draft than Goldschmidt. Way, way less. In fact, in the tout mix draft, he went for 9 bucks during the part of the draft where guys are just trying to fill their outfield spots. Goldschmidt at tout, $26. Goldschmidt's ADP was 26th in the second round. Pence, 107 in the eighth round. So Pence is going to end up providing his owners about $26 of profit and added that and when you add that to his $35 value makes him a $61 combined and when you add that to his $35 production he's a $61 combined value. Goldschmidt's drafters got value too but they paid for it in advance. He'll manage a nice $16 profit but only about $58 combined value. And if you don't think $3 can make a difference in a fantasy league, you haven't been playing long enough. It's like Ron said about Chris Davis. Drafting Hunter Pence gave you first or high second round value, and you still got to have another first or second round pick. That's value. Todd, you going to stick with Paul Goldschmidt, or have I convinced you? Wow, wow, that was impressive, Patrick. You missed your calling. You need to represent these guys in their arbitration hearings. Here's my problem with Pence. To me, he looks like an uncoordinated bad actor playing a baseball player in a movie, and I just I just can't vote for him. Uh, j- jokes aside, um, well, you, you have Patrick. You you honestly you have convinced me that I need to rethink how I go about approaching uh, these sorts of MVP and Cy Young awards. Uh, you know, I have a value niche in the industry. Perhaps 
perhaps you're right, and I, you know, I should use that and and incorporate more of a bang for the buck thinking into this sort of thing. But for now, I'm still going to go with my original choice of Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, similar to Chris Davis in, in where he comes out like first round numbers. Now Goldschmidt was drafted a lot higher, uh, second, third, fourth round, because some people did see breakout potential in Goldschmidt last year. I talked about my strikeout fear with Davis. I was equally as as fearful coming into the season with Goldschmidt. He uh, went from a 29% uh, K rate to around a 22% K rate last year, and I needed I needed to see him sustain it. And he wasn't on any of my teams because I wanted to see him. Now he's done it. Uh, next year he's going to be on a lot of my teams. Uh, so Paul Goldschmidt is my NL MVP, and hats off to Patrick for making me spend some of my offseason rethinking the way I approach this sort of thing. <laughs> ah, shucks, torn nothing. Uh, finally, we'll give the last word on the MVP for the National League and our awards roundtable to the founder of BaseballHQ.com, Ron Chandler. All right, my chance to wrap things up here. I have to tell you, this this was the toughest decision for me, this one, the uh, National League MVP. In good conscience, I couldn't give it to the player who was the most profitable NL batter, and that honor went to Marlon Byrd. He he led all National League batters with $18 a profit this year. So I, I didn't scream MVP to me. Uh, Matt Carpenter, Paul Goldschmidt, Hunter Pence, they were all close. Goldschmidt clearly was probably the closest one. Um, but again, their profit was kind of in the 10 to $15 range. Gene Segura was a consideration, actually, because he was drafted so low in many leagues. But at BaseballHQ.com, we projected him to be an $18 player, so that would have only been about $11 a profit. When it came down to it, there was only one player who, for me, met my litmus, litmus test of big earnings and big profit, and that was Jose Fernandez. He was the most profitable player in all of baseball this year. Uh, cost nothing to put on your roster and earned nearly $30 to boot. For his owners, it, it was like they, they drafted their entire team, and then after they had finished drafting their team, someone came up to them and said, hey, we, we forgot to add Clayton Kershaw to your roster. No charge. That's the type of impact this player had this year. So many winning teams had Fernandez on their roster. It's It's not funny. He, he was clearly the most valuable player in the National League this year. And despite that persuasive argument in my own impassioned defense of Hunter Pence, Paul Goldschmidt is your Baseball HQ Fantasy MVP for 2013 in the National League. And thus endeth the 2013 BaseballHQ.com Roundtable Fantasy Awards. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for September the 27th. It's our second September special edition the BaseballHQ.com Roundtable Fantasy Baseball Awards for 2013. To recap, our unanimous choices were for Rookies of the Year, Yaziel Puig amongst the hitters, Jose Fernandez among the pitchers. The rest of our choices were consensus picks, our busts of the year, a three-way tie among B.J. Upton, Josh Hamilton, and Ryan Braun for the hitters, and a two-way tie between C.C. Sabathia and Justin Verlander for the pitchers. Our top fantasy story, PEDs and their long-range effect on the game. Our fantasy Cy Youngs go to Max Scherzer in the American League and Clayton Kershaw in the National, and I won't be surprised if that's how things work out in the real Cy Young balloting. 
Our fantasy MVPs, a couple of power-hitting first basemen, Chris Davis in the American League and Paul Goldschmidt in the National. And again, I bet they get some pretty high votes in the real thing as well. Thanks to the guys from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business, for participating in this show roundtable. Ryan Bloomfield, matchups analyst at BaseballHQ.com, thanks very much for participating. Yeah, thanks, Patrick, and everyone else. I hope to see you all up at First Pitch Arizona, and if not, we'll talk to you next year. Well, no, Ryan, the pleasure was all ours. You were great on this show, and you've been great all year as our matchups analyst on Baseball HQ Radio. And Harold Nichols, you also were great on the show today, as well as throughout the year as our beat reporter covering the National League. Thanks a million. Thanks, Patrick. This was great as always. Uh, everyone uh, enjoy the uh, enjoy the playoffs and the World Series and, uh, and the offseason. Thanks a million, Harold. You too. Jock Thompson, thanks for this. Thanks for being our American League beat reporter on Baseball HQ Radio all year as well. Thanks again for all your work here, PD, and we'll do it again next year. We will indeed, and I'm certainly hopeful that part of that show will be Todd Zola. Our weekly talk with Todd was such a pleasure, and Todd, it was great having you here as well. Thanks a million. Thanks, PD. Had a blast as always. Ray Murphy, always a supporter of Baseball HQ Radio, in front of and behind the scenes. I really appreciate it. And, of course, I want to thank you for participating in this Roundtable Awards discussion. Thanks. Hey, Patrick, I just wanted to say thank you for your great work on the show all year. Enjoy a well-earned hiatus over a couple of months, and we'll spin this thing back up in December or so. Thanks a million, Ray. I appreciate the confidence. And, of course, uh, couldn't have started any of it without Ron Chandler from BaseballHQ.com. Not only founded the site, but was instrumental in getting us into the whole idea of podcasts many years ago and being willing to step up and say, let's take a chance with this and let's let this guy from Canada handle it. I appreciate all the confidence, Ron. I wish you all the best. Thanks a million for being on the show. Thanks, Patrick. Gentlemen, it's, uh, it's been great fun. It's been a great season. Um, uh, I look forward to working with all of you again next year. Yes, Ron, thank you. Uh, we also wanted to say thank you to Pat DiCaprio. He had to sign off a little early. And thanks as well to you for downloading and listening to show number 42 of the 2013 Fantasy Baseball season, our last show of this season, but also for downloading and listening to all the other shows that we put out this year. It takes a lot of work, and it's very rewarding to know that you're getting some value out of the show and that you're enjoying it. We will be back, as Ray said, with a show or two in December, depending on how events unfold. And then we'll spool back up again next year with another full season of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.